guys. Welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in Romans 11. Ready for this for you prophetic folks? Lesson 11. 11, 11 is today. Super pumped because we're even going to talk about Romans 11, 11. And, you know, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, the whole theme is? Israel. Israel. The whole theme is Israel. And that's really what we want to unpack even more so today as we kind of wrap up this section that sure feels like it came out of nowhere. And so in Romans 9, Kevin, we're going to kind of create our foundation again of, of where we've gone. And Romans 9 talks about Israel's past election. Now, Kevin, we've done this, so you guys kind of know the routine, Rich, and then you're going to be next, Tom. So everybody should be ready. Maybe think of a different answer. Uh, what, when you think of Israel's past election, Kevin, what, is, what are we talking about in Romans 9? How they were chosen from the past. It's kind of a cool picture. And now in Romans 10, Warren Wearsby He also says that it's all about Israel's in Romans 10, which is what we talked about yesterday. It's all about Israel's present rejection. Rich, what do we go, what do we talk about with this? That would be their present rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. So in Romans 11, which is where we're going to get to today, kind of exciting. This is, uh, really is one of my favorite chapters in, in the scripture. I mean, this whole section is Romans 9, 10, Romans 9, 10, and 11. But Israel's future, Restoration. Now, Tom, you've had three days of preparation for this. Talking about the promised Messiah. Mm. Good same answer every day, Tom. No, I changed coming to promise. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough, fair enough. So there is what you're going to see today is that according to the Apostle Paul, written in Corinth, writing to the church of Rome, delivered by Phoebe, hanging out with other believers of Corinth, he's saying, hey, by the way, My people, God still has a plan. I love this picture. God is not, not, look, let's just put it this way. God is not done with Israel. And I've been waiting all week to do this. Star David. God's not done with Israel. I mean, look at 1948. Is that not even a cool picture? Just that fact alone that God reinstated this country uh, in May 14, 1948. So here's what I, I want to talk about. I think this is very practical, and I love what Warren Wiersbe says. Please don't apply Romans 11 to the church. Okay? This chapter does not apply to the church. Paul is literally discussing a literal future for a literal nation. That's what he's talking about. That's why God is not done with Israel. But over the years, Kevin and I were looking up some terms about what these words mean. Uh, Over the years, though, people are literally puzzled and confused and perplexed with this country. There's a historian, Arnold Toynbee. Uh, He called the Israelites a fossil civilization, like this ancient, outdated, archaic uh, people group. Then you have the Romans calling them this Um, this evil group, these evil followers. And then you have the United Nations, literally two years ago, in the last last two years, they took a vote and they decided that the Temple Mount no longer, uh, the Temple Mount didn't ever belong in the possession of the Jewish people. So what do you do with that? Well, now they're saying that their history is even wrong. Even in our day, people are still refuting the role of Israel today. And my challenge and my encouragement is that the people in the church don't do that. I want us to realize our heritage, our roots, you guys, are truly in the Jewish people. 
Look, I'm going to go off course here just for a second, but if you go to Romans 15, 25 and 26 and 27, you know, Paul is talking about this. Remember, same context, same book, same what we're talking about. In Romans 15, 25, it says this. Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem. Remember, he said he wanted to go see those in Rome, but he said, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. He says in verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased. So in other words, some saints have given Paul money to deliver, it says, to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So, you know, what are those armored trucks that drive around, you know, that have the money in them? Brinks. Okay, so anyway, Brinks is delivering the money. Paul is delivering money up to Jerusalem in verse 27. Look at this. Because these servants, these Gentiles, it says they were pleased and indeed indebted to the Jews. Look at this. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits. So if, if the Gentiles, a spiritual benefit, that says benefits, but one of them, you guys, is they received the Messiah from the Jewish people. So Paul is delivering finances to the Jews because they received the spiritual benefits. And it says the Gentiles are obligated to minister to Jews in material needs. We need to realize, you guys, that if you're a Gentile and you have faith in Jesus Christ, We've shared in a benefit that comes from the Jewish people, then we're obligated to minister to them. We cannot discredit, you guys, our past that comes from the Jewish people. And yet, for some reason, we just wipe it out and say, well, we're the church. I'm going to walk you through about the original branches, the natural branches, and, and, and the grafting of the branches today, because I want to make sure everybody understands uh, they're separate, but yet they're the same. As weird as that is to say. And so when I say, please remember, God is not done with Israel. I need you to understand your heritage and your roots. And Paul says, look, here's the deal. What do we do with this? Well, in verse one, Paul begins to talk about, and Weersby's put it, it's pretty simple. Paul talks about himself. He says, I asked them, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, well, what do you do with me? I'm a believer. <laughs> I, this still applies to me. I, I love that argument. Then he continues on in verses 2 through 10. He says, fine, if you don't like my argument, what about the prophet Elijah? The prophet Elijah, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture says in the Elijah section? I love this. He's always challenging the religious. He's always challenging those. Don't you guys know your own word? <laughs> what the scripture says in the Elijah section. I, I like that part. Just... That section right there, uh, how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, I love this part. They've killed your prophets and tore down your altars. I'm the only one left. Elijah is having this pitiful, sorrowful, like I'm the only revivalist around. I'm the only prophet. Nobody else gets it. Told me, totally been there. I'm the only one. They're trying to take my life. <laughs> God says, this was his reply. I have left 7,000 men for myself who haven't bowed down to Baal. In other words, what are you talking about? Like, you're complaining about you're it. Oh, by the way, there's more than just you, Elijah. In verse 5, it says, In the same way, then there is also, at the present time, a remnant chosen by grace. So, you see, we're making the transition. He starts to show Elijah there's a group of people, but now he's saying, okay, now I want to talk about a real remnant, a little bit of a different remnant. He says, now if by grace, then it's not by works, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did. This is the distinction we're talking about, okay? In this, Elijah, the example is, in this process, just so everybody's on the same page, this remnant is clear to say, 
Look, Israel didn't find it, but the elect did. So, Kevin, the remnant within Israel, okay, found it. I'm still talking about Israel here. So, uh, this is a weird, uh, let's just do a little box here, okay? There's, there's no rhyme or reason to this box, okay? But all of a sudden, within this box, you would say this is a remnant, okay? All of this, okay, represents Israel. Make sense? But within the box, only, only the green is saved. I, just, I think you need to have this picture. Israel is the box, but within the box is the elect. It's kind of the corporate and the individual. Totally. Corporate and the individual. And it says in verse 7, the rest were hardened. They were, they were blinded. Okay, is what the scripture is talking about. As it is written, and here we are quoting Isaiah 29, 10. I want to go to that here in a second, Kevin. God gave them a spirit of insensitivity. Eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. So Kevin, if you go to Isaiah 29, verse 10, just a little bit of a context here. Same thing, for the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> this is my life verse right now. Not the rest of the part. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. In other words, like God, for some reason, has put this on there. people that they can't see. And they just want to sleep. <laughs> Kevin, have you ever seen that before? No. It's kind of fun. Uh, go to Deuteronomy 29.4. <laughs> Deuteronomy 29.4. So he, he took the words of the prophet Isaiah. He took the words of Moses, Moishi. He says, yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see or ears to hear. Like this is the, dis- the deal in the big box, the big corporate box, only that little green sliver. For some reason, they see God corporately has, has given them a mind that they can't understand. So that's one illustration. But now when you get into verse five and then David says this. OK, because of this, their feasting, let their feasting become a snare and a trap a pitfall and a retribution to them. In other words, I like this. It says, Warren Wiersbe says, their blessings became a burden is what happened. Uh, It becomes burdens and a judgment. And all of a sudden their spiritual uh, blessings should have led them to Christ. Like, wouldn't it be great if you could color in all of the box? (laughs) But that's not the case. Instead, um, it became a snare that kept them from Christ. They became too religious. So here you have Paul himself saying, hey, look, by the way, what about me? (laughs) And then he says, Elijah says, hey, what about the remnant, right? There's a small group. The bigger group's not going to see it, but there is a remnant. And then in verse 11, and this is where we go to Romans 11, 11. You can actually go to the Gentiles. In verses 11 through 15, it says, I asked them, has this bigger group stumbled? Have the Jewish people stumbled in order to fall? Like, have they, or, have they stumbled in order to stay down is the point. Absolutely not. On the contrary, by there, the Jewish people stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Kevin, where have we already heard that before? Uh, yesterday. Just Yesterday. All of a sudden, because the Jewish people said no, the Gentiles got this message of salvation. Remember this whole story of tickets to the Cowboys. All of a sudden, my daughters wanted what Jude had. That's what's going to start happening. By their stumbling, salvation came to us. By them saying, just say no to Jesus, that's what they're saying. 
then all of a sudden what we have, I don't know how to say this, it makes them jealous. It makes them angry because that was originally designed. Remember the Israel's past election. It was originally designed for them. So they're in this season of just saying no, because pride, because of religion. Like this is what the context says of the Apostle Paul. Salvation has come. This is really interesting to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So now if they're stumbling, brings riches for the world. If the Jews, what that means is by their stumbling, meaning they're saying no. Remember, the stumbling block is the cornerstone, right? It's the cornerstone that comes to Zion. If they're stumbling and they fall because of this cornerstone, if it brings riches for the world, and their failure brings riches to all of us because they said no and didn't get it, didn't see it, didn't hear it, didn't understand it. How much more, you guys, this is such a cool picture. How much more will their full number bring? So if the riches come to the Gentiles, imagine what's going to happen when the fullness of, we never say this phrase, the fullness of the Jews takes place. How much more, which means it will be more, bring. So he says in, in verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. In view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles, like you're, you're my ministry, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I can save my own people jealous and if I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. I mean, this goes back to the context. Remember he said he'd, he'd, he'd rather be cursed, right? And go into hell so that his people could say, he's saying it again. If somehow I can make my own people jealous and save some of them. (laughs) For if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Every time I read this, you guys, when it says, how much more will their full number bring? Uh, I love this phrase of what will their acceptance mean from life to the dead? He's talking about, oh, by the way, he has a whole lot of a future for these guys. He's not done with his people. Just because we're in this period of the Gentiles doesn't mean God says, oh, I'm done with my kids. I'm going to just pour into the Mayas and the Nadias and I'm going to quit on the sailors and Jews. He's not talking about that at all. He says he wants us to pour into everybody. There's seasons. And then he says in verse 16, and this is where he begins to pour into even more. So you have Paul, you have Elijah, you have the Gentiles. And then this is where it gets kind of, no pun intended, sticky. The patriarchs. It says, now, if the first fruits offered up are holy, okay, so is the whole batch. I love this picture. This is such a cool picture to me. So we're talking about like, like the lump of dough, okay? So here you have the first fruits offered up are holy. So remember, the first part of the dough offered up to God is a symbol so that the rest of the lump can also be holy. Okay, feast of first fruits. We've talked about this many, many times. A priest offered up a sheaf, right? He'd offer up a sheaf to God as a symbol that the entire harvest is his. So when you offer up the first fruits, you're saying, and by the way, this is the best of the best and everything else is also uh, um, a presentation to you. And then he says the same thing. And the root is, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So, Same mentality, you guys, right? The root, it represents everything else. So what I want to do is, is, uh, here we go. This is kind of a biggie, but I want you to try to understand this. 
God accepted, this doesn't come from me, this comes from Wearsby. God accepted the founder of the nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He accepted those guys. Because of, well, let me say this. He accepted Abraham, first of all, just to start off with Abraham. He accepted Abraham. And despite Isaac and Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, despite their the sins of Isaac and Jacob, God still accepted the rest of Israel. Does that make sense? He took the Abrahams and said, you know what? This is a representation of the rest of the lump. Because I've called Abraham, I'm good with everything else. And so this is the process. And so he says now in verse 17, now listen to this. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, who are those branches? Rich, any thoughts? Who were broken off? Kevin, some of those branches were broken off. I I think right now, like the northern Northern kingdom. I would just even make it even more, like even more simpler than that. You're talking about just the Jewish people. Okay, very simply, that just didn't believe. So, yes, you could take those kind of illustrations. But we're really talking about, I mean, these are the people that have said no. And though you, now he's talking to the Gentiles, you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root, keep it here, Kevin, if you would, in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. All right, go back to verse 16 for a second, okay? If the root is holy, so are the branches. So the root, can we just say, would be Abraham's calling, okay? The patriarch's calling. Because of their calling, God's call is on everybody, right? Isn't that true? Of Israel, then all of the branches are holy. But the problem is, in verse 17, some of those branches have broken off. So, Kevin, what does it do? It goes back to this big picture of our little square here, a rectangle. In that little, I probably should have done it maybe even this way, if you wanted to use our illustration. The roots, right, are holy. But some of these branches, (laughs) all of a sudden it just became a tree. Some of these branches have broken off. Now, the wild olive branch, that's the Gentiles. They were grafted in among them. So, Kevin, how, what does grafting even look like? You got any idea, or Rich? Well, it's a process where something of a tree, they stick it in and it becomes part of that tree. It grows into the original tree. This is my, this little dot here, okay, is the wild olive branch, Okay. So can I just put it in here like this? Mm -hmm. Does that work? So all of a sudden, the wild olive branch has been grafted in to share in, you ready for this? The rich root, right, of the cultivated olive tree. Now, we still have some broken branches though, don't we? Those represent Jewish people that don't believe. So the Gentiles, in the meantime, and the reality is, here's the real picture, you guys. There's a whole lot more here. (laughs) Most of the branches are broken. And really what's happening is this. All of these wild olive branches, there's a lot more of these than there are of anything else. Okay? That's really what this starts to look like, is a wonderful painting. (laughs) What have they done? They've come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. Okay, let's go to verse 18. But now, wild olive branches, I want to speak to you, the Gentiles. Do not brag that you're better than those branches that are broken off. If you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. So the source 
is not you. It actually comes from the root that's holy that was established through the Jewish folks, the patriarchs. Verse 19, Scripture says, Then you'll say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, True enough, they were broken off by unbelief, but you stand by faith. So don't be arrogant, but be afraid. In verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. So the natural ones, if they're broken off, guess what? He's not going to spare you either. Those are His chosen people. And in verse 22, the scripture continues on. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you. So you need to care for both. If you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. You know what that really says to me? Folks, we better care about these broken branches. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Verse 23, Scripture says, And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in. Because God has the power to graft them in again. (laughs) I love that picture. For if you were cut off from your native... In other words, God still has a plan, you guys, for the Jews. For if you cut off from your native wild olive... And against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Like this is their natural habitat. This is their natural root. God will keep his promises, you guys, to the patriarchs. Why? Because the root is still good. It doesn't say anything about the root being gone. Verse 25. So here's here's what I love about this. So you got Paul talking about. The Jews still have a future. Elijah talks about there's a remnant. There's still a future. The Gentiles say because of the Gentiles, this is where it's going to get fun. Hey, by the way, the Jews still have a future. The patriarchs, the Jews still have a future. And because of this, the last illustration is God himself. Kind of makes me go back to Romans 9 about Israel's past election. How are their past election? Because it was established by God. Why does Israel still have a future? Because of God. In verses 25 through 36, it says this, So that you will not be conceited, brothers. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, and it is a mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel. So let's just say this. Right here is Israel, partial hardening. Okay? And then it says, has come to Israel until the full number... Of Gentiles. So you have to put the fullness of Gentiles, what, has come in. We don't know what that number is. We do have an idea in the sense that the gospel through our feet is delivered so that faith can actually hear the word of God. We do know that he's given us a description, right, of of what we're supposed to do. We just don't know when it's going to come to fruition. We do know that we need to go to every country. We know that we need to get into every tribe and tongue and nation, So there's a partial hardening. What that means is, is that a part of this group, okay, there's going to be a lot of broken branches. Okay, it means there's going to be a lot of broken branches still until God says, all those Gentiles that I have chosen, okay, now they've all come to know the Lord. So his plan is that a a fullness of the Gentiles is going to take place. The gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. Until that's come in, there's going to be a hardening of the Jews just saying, no. It seems super strange to me, logically, that there's a people, his chosen people, they would say no so that we would get a chance. 
In verse 26, it says, and in this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, and you guys, it's an awesome picture here of Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. The liberator will come from Zion. We should have said Romans. The book of Romans is going to be called the liberator. The liberator. Jesus is going to come from Zion. He'll turn away godlessness from Jacob. And then it says this, keep going in verse 27. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It's a continuation, you guys, of Isaiah 59. If you'll go there, Kevin, Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is the Lord's declaration. As for me, this is my covenant with them says the Lord, my spirit who is on you, my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouth of your children or from the mouth of your children's children from now and forever. God is going to keep his promise. All of Israel will be saved when the fullness of the Gentiles takes place. Let me finish reading this out just so we can read through Romans 11. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, Scripture says, and back in verse 28, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and calling, look at this, are irrevocable. This is really important to understand. God's gracious gifts and calling for His own people are irrevocable. In Malachi 3.6, He says, I am the Lord, I don't change. Verse, uh, verse 30, it says, As you once dis- disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience. Isn't this crazy? We've received mercy through their disobedience so that they too now have disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you so that they also now may receive mercy. In other words, it just goes back and forth. They say no, we say yes, and then they get to say yes. For God is imprisoned in all disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. And praise the Lord for God's wisdom because, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments are, his judgments and and untraceable his ways. For he who has known the mind of the Lord, who who has been his counselor, who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and amen. There's a partial hardening. Fullness of the Gentiles takes place somewhere in this process. You guys, when they see the Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah in our lives, Kevin, if you go to Zechariah 12, 10, they will begin to realize the jealousy card, the anger card. They'll begin to realize what they've done. It says this. God says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they've pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. They will begin to weep bitterly over the fact that the Messiah's, that, 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 excuse me, that the prophets pointed to the Messiah. And they'll begin to realize maybe through your life and my life whom they've pierced. And at that moment in Matthew 23, 39, it will say this. The moment that they begin to realize that they have pierced the Messiah, the justifier, Matthew 23, 39 says this. For I tell you, you will never see me again until, I, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
when they begin to mourn, they begin to weep bitterly, they will then actually then say and cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when that happens, he says, you'll see me. The Messiah will actually come back. You don't have to go there, but in Zechariah 14, he's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it in two, and he's going to come back for his people. Romans 9, 10, and 11 shows all of us God is not done with his own people, the Israelites. Thanks, guys. I hope you've been blessed, and I look forward to continuing this study with you tomorrow.